Welcome to the FaithBridge Sermon Podcast. Be sure to keep watching immediately after the sermon for Postscript, a weekly podcast with in-depth content and answers to your questions submitted during the sermon. You can also find it on iTunes or at faithbridge.org slash postscript. Uh, Welcome up in the woodlands. Welcome online. Welcome however it is that you're here today. So today... Uh, we're going to turn to 1 Peter for sort of the last installment of this little series that we're doing uh, within a larger series, which is even within a larger series, and uh, that we've kind of been doing this whole year working through 1 Peter. Take a Bible. I see the ushers are in the aisles in all our rooms. Would you just uh, wave them down if you need one? You can certainly borrow one and our gift to you if you need a Bible to keep. So let me bring you uh, up to kind of uh, where we are. We're in this little section where he's talking about marriage. And last week, uh, Pastor Dan did a fantastic job talking to us about the portion where he speaks to the husbands. Here's how you're to treat your wives. And I can't tell you how many wives came out last week and said, try to top that next week. And so I have uh, really a pretty high bar now that the, uh, it's my turn and I get to talk to the ladies. Um, and I, I'm afraid many ladies also said we have very low expectations for this sermon. So I'm going to do my best. Now, in this section of uh, 1 Peter, where he's dealing with the relationships, you remember, he's, uh, he's, he's telling us, here's how you're going to live. Um, in, in light of who you are, that's what all of 1 Peter is about, who you are in Christ, with the risen Christ spirit inside of you. Now that you know who you are, here's how you're going to live. Okay, so uh, let's take a look at, at uh, what he says. And let's also remember the, the, the hinge point word in these middle uh, sections of 1 Peter is this troubling word, troubling for us, submit or surrender. It's troubling for us because we don't like to submit, Right? We're like, I don't want to submit to anybody. I just want to be the boss. I'll be in charge. I'll make my own rules. I don't want to respond to any authority. I just want to do my own thing, right? Everybody, everybody feels that sort of thing. Um, but remember, this is the context. And if it's hard for us, just think how much harder it was for the people to whom Peter was writing. Because here he was writing 2,000 years ago, and you remember, these Christians that he was writing scattered throughout Asia Minor, They had run for their lives because the Christians were being killed 2,000 years ago. Emperor Nero was having some dragged into the Colosseum to be fed to the lions and some burned and some beheaded and some crucified. And and Christians were going through some bad persecution. And so they've scampered off uh, fleeing for their lives. And Peter writes them in a most counterintuitive way, giving them advice like you would have never expected. You would expect that Peter's going to write and say, okay, Christians, shh, don't tell anybody that you love Jesus. Don't talk about it. They'll kill you. That's not what he does. He doesn't say, here's where you hide. Here's how you keep it a secret. No, he says, here's the deal. They may kill you, in fact, but we're going to let our lights shine for Jesus 
We're going to have that sparkle of his spirit living inside of us till our dying breath. And our hope is that by having that, here's the strategy Peter was saying, we're going to draw other people to say, I want to have inside of me what's inside of him. Where does he get that power, that patience, that spirit? What is it? Well, it's Jesus inside of that person. He said, so that's why we're going to submit ourselves. We're going to do the counterintuitive thing. Even if the government is saying, you know, do this, and we don't have a vote, and in this culture, in this context, we do have a vote, and you should go, and you should vote, and you don't need to send me more letters. I'm all for voting, okay? We're all for that here in this church. But I'm just telling you what, what Peter was talking about. Um, he was saying, at the end of the day, once the vote is cast, once the emperor is in place, we fall in line. We're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're, we're not chaotic people, we Christians aren't, okay? We, we're submissive. It's the same at the, drop, at the job uh, in the workplace with our boss. Um, you know, is he, what, what if he's harsh? Even then, we're going to submit. Why? Who knows? Maybe your light will shine in a way that woos him or her to trust in the same Savior as you've trusted in. And then we talked uh, a couple of weeks ago, going a little out of sequence, about how we're going to submit to one another in community, in the body of Christ. And then Pastor Dan took us through the wives, or through the husbands, and today, let's look at the wives. All right, now, 1 Peter 3, verse 1 is where we'll start. Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the, believer, by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles and wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. For this is the way the holy women of the past who put their hope in God used to adorn themselves. They submitted themselves to their own husbands, like Sarah, who obeyed Abraham and called him her Lord. You're her daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, I think it's safe to say these verses are some of the most misunderstood, confused, abused, troubling, frustrating verses in the whole Bible, okay? And so here's how I want to break it down so that we can leave here in a little while with a very clear understanding of exactly what he was saying. If you're an outline kind of person, I want to look at three categories or three points. Here's how I'm going to break it down. First, I want to talk about why did Peter say this? Why did he write this? That's the first thing. Second, I want to talk about what does it mean for us today, 2,000 years later? What does it mean? And the last thing I want to talk about is, so how do I do it then? How do I do it uh, realistically? Okay, first, let's talk about why Peter said this. Understanding, again, uh, the historical context 2,000 years ago, you have to remember, women had none of the rights and privileges that we just expect for women to have today. They were treated like animals 2,000 years ago, like property no big deal at all. That's the context. In fact, scholars like Plutarch would write things like this. A wife should not acquire her own friends, but she should make her husband's friends her own. And it is certainly proper for a wife to recognize only those gods whom her husband worships. Okay, that was just normative. But something very significant was happening 2,000 years ago 
because of Jesus. People were getting hold of the gospel. They were hearing the story of how God, who loved us so much in our sinfulness, said, you'll never be able to fix the problem, the predicament that you're in. And so he said, I'm going to fix it from my side, and I'm going to send my only son to this earth who will live a perfect life, a sinless life, the life that you and I wish we could live, but none of us can live. And then he's going to die the death of punishment and consequence that all of us deserve to have died. He's going to take it for us. He's going to take, be your substitute. And then on the third day, he's going to arise, rise from the grave, signifying to any person and every person who ever comes along and puts their faith and their trust in Jesus and links themselves to Jesus, that we too can have the assurance of everlasting life. People were getting hold of this message, and particularly the women were getting hold of this message. And they were tr the trusting Jesus Christ. They're becoming Christians. And it was really throwing things off 2,000 years ago because now the men are like, what is going on? My wife never had an original thought in her life and now she should tell me she believes in Jesus. Now, what is this Christianity thing? I don't understand what's going on. And the wives, for their sake, they, that they had their own thoughts going. They're like, okay, now if I'm gonna follow after Jesus, what do I do with this guy who's not a believer? Should I just, just you know, dump him and just sing free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty I'm free at last, and just go see if I can pick up a new Christian guy at the singles group at, at the church? You know, and they were really trying to figure out how, how are we supposed to do this? And that's where Peter writes and says, no, ladies, that's not what you're going to do. You're going to do the counterintuitive thing again. Why? Because you love Jesus. What am I going to do? You're going to stay in your marriage to the non-believer. Why? Because who knows but what if you will be the one who draws him to saving faith in Jesus. So see, what Peter was doing is basically saying, ladies, what I'm telling you that you're going to do is, is to make a choice to do what you're already expected to do. I mean, you're already expected to submit. I'm not changing that rule. I'm just saying I'm giving you a choice to do it for an altogether different reason, for a higher reason, for a greater purpose. So here again, Peter was giving a choice to people, a category of people who never thought of themselves as ever having a choice. And it was just blowing their world wide open. Some years ago, when I was um, still a pastor up in the Woodlands uh, Church that I've told you about over the years, I remember there was a man named Chuck. <clears throat> and Chuck is a great guy, and we got talking one day and about our stories, about how we came to trust in Christ. And I said, well, what about you, Chuck? How'd you come to know the Lord? And he said, oh, well, my wife, she got an affair. She got in an affair. I said, really? He said, yeah. I said, wow, that must have been rough. He said, well, I knew something was up. He said, because I just, I just noticed she just sort of had this new glow about her and a new spring in her step and, and this energy about her that she hadn't had in our marriage. And finally, I connected the dots and realized, you're living for another man. 
you, you got something else going on the side here. Even, even asked her, are you having an affair? And she, she looked straight at me and she said, no. Oh, no. He said, but the strange thing about it was, he said, she was, the more in love I was convinced she was growing with this other man, she was becoming the best wife I'd ever had. She was kinder than ever, more sensitive than ever. I mean, and I had to admit, our marriage was better than it had ever been before. He said, the darndest thing about it all, Ken, she'd never even set her eyes on that other man before. She'd never seen him. At this point, I was really perplexed. And he said, yeah, when she fell in love with that man, Jesus, everything about her changed. And then everything in our marriage changed. And then I got to feeling, Chuck said, like, I'm getting left behind. So finally I said one day, you know, I think I might go to church with you. And she said, okay, great. He said, so I went, and it wasn't so bad. In fact, it was kind of good. And I kept going back. He said that after a while I decided, well, I think I'll sign up and and try one of those those, uh, small groups for the men. He said, so I got in one of those men's group, and that was actually fantastic. I met some, some of my lifelong, deepest, best friends in that men's group. He said, and over the years, I surrendered myself to that same man that my wife had fallen in love with, Jesus. I hadn't thought of that story in years until I was studying our text uh, for this week, and it struck me that's exactly what Peter was saying to the wives 2,000 years ago. He's like, that's what I want you to be doing, wives. Now, why did he uh, say that? Because he knew nobody has an, uh, an impact on a husband like a wife does. And so that's why he says in verse 1, wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands so that if any of them do not believe the word, that's like the word of God, Jesus, they may be won over without your words. See, it's a little play on words, on the word word he's doing here. Um, That they may be won over without your words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and the reverence of your lives. And so, wives, perhaps you need to change your game plan a little bit. And instead of trying to coerce your husband to come to church with you, just let it be less about the words but about your life. Like my friend Chuck's wife. Or maybe you should lay off the technique of slathering Bible verses up on your bathroom mirror, you know, with lipstick, you know, or gluing his car radio dial to to where it won't play anything but KSBJ. And and so Peter's saying, why do this? Because you have an impact, ladies. You have an impact on your man. That's why. Okay, so if that's the why, what's it mean for us today? Well, let's talk about that. The answer comes way down towards the bottom of the verse, in a section in, chapter, in verse 6. When Peter alludes, alludes to Sarah, 
and calls her this shining example in the way that she showed respect to her husband, Abraham. Now, since we don't have time to dig back into that whole story in Genesis, let me just bring you up, bring you up to speed if, if you don't know the story, if, you, if you've forgotten it. If you were to paddle your way upstream to the headwaters of Judeo-Christian um, history, you'd find one man at the headwaters. His name was Abraham, Father Abraham. We see him in Genesis 15. And he is best remembered, Father Abraham is, who had many sons and many sons had father. Yeah, that's, a, that's the one. And he's best remembered for choosing to walk by faith when God broke through to him and said, Abraham, you're going to be my man. And you're going to have descendants. And all those people are going to be my people. And I'm going to be their God. And it's all going to start with you. But the first thing I need you to do is you need you to pack your bags because you're going to move uh, from Ur of the Chaldeans, and, and, and I'm going to move you. Where, I'm gonna, where, where are you going to move me, God? Well, I'm not going to tell you that until you get on the road. Now, imagine the man having to go and tell his wife, Sarah, okay, I just had an encounter with God, and he said, we're going to move. We're going to move? You mean we're going to leave our friends and our family and everything we've ever done? Death, that's right. Well, where are we going to move? He didn't tell me that part. So you want me to, to say, here we go, Abraham, and goodbye to everything, and you don't even know where we're going yet? It's because you've heard from God, who I can't even see? And Abraham said, yes. And the amazing thing about Sarah is she said, okay, I'm with you. Here we go. And had she not done that, who knows how the story would have come down. Because all of Judeo-Christian history began there. And that's what Peter is alluding to. He, he was saying, um, ladies, Sarah's a pretty good example. Now, it has to be uh, noted that neither Sarah nor Abraham made every right choice. And you certainly see that as you uh, work your way through the book of Genesis. They goofed up some stuff and, and, and botched it up. But the overarching concept that Peter is alluding to here is when it when it really, really, really mattered, they got it right. And that's what Peter's saying he wants uh, for husbands and wives. He's just saying, you know, ladies, perhaps in the same way that Sarah finally just had to say, okay, to Abraham, I'm with you. Even though I really wouldn't be my top choice, probably wouldn't even be my hundredth choice. We're going to, we're going to do what you're saying on this one. And I don't know any husband back then or now who doesn't value feeling respected. That's an important thing because nothing crushes the soul of a man, causing him to draw inward um, like, and shattered like, like feeling disrespected from his wife. But I know. I'm not telling you anything. 
that you don't already know. Because every, or at least most every author who has ever come along and written a book about marriage, whether it's a biblical Christian kind of book or a not Christian kind of book, it doesn't matter. All the authors get to this point somewhere in the book, your man's going to need to feel respected, right? This is nothing new. Um, so, so, in fact, I, I was just thinking back to one of the classics uh, maybe two decades ago. It's a very popular book, um, William Farley's book called His Needs, Her Needs. And I just went back because I'm just, I'll just, uh, just test what I, what I just postulated there. Sure enough, you get down to the fifth of the husband's needs, and he gets to this thing about respect and admiration. And he writes... Because when you tell your husband he's wonderful and you respect him and you admire him and you know everything, it motivates him to achieve more. Farley and thousands of other authors haven't really come up with anything original that Peter wasn't already saying 2,000 years ago. So there's really nothing new about this. So it it really means, wives, you have a lot of power and I think that's what I would want you to, to really ponder. It, you have a lot of power to influence your husband. In, in other words, let's look at it negatively. When you, when you cut him down in public or when you act disinterested in the things he's interested in uh, or when you ridicule what he thinks is important, it's, it just shatters him on the inside. It makes him feel emasculated and worthless but on the other hand, you have no idea what it does inside of him when you, boost, when you boost him up. And so wives, never underestimate the reality that he wants to succeed. He wants to be a winner in your eyes. Um, now, husbands, uh, I don't have time to go back and re-preach Dan's uh, sermon, but let me just say this. I am certain that many of you are sabotaging your wife's desire to do what God is talking about here. Because some of you are more addicted to porn than you are to your wife. And it's hard to respect that for a wife. And you can say, well, just a normal guy, just a normal red-blooded American. Nah, that. Don't kid yourself. It's hard to respect that. Others of you, you're, you, you're talking the Christian talk, and you can talk it pretty, pretty compellingly, but you don't walk it. And nobody knows you better than your wife. You can't fool everybody. And some of you, you're so insecure that you've become a, kind of a control freak to your wives. You're like, let me check your phone every day, and you know, almost like she's just like a, a servant. And it's hard to respect that. And some of the others of you, you're so passive, you just sit on your fat, lazy boy, and, and, and you don't engage the process. And it's hard to respect that. Still others of you, um, you travel a lot, and that's just part of the job, and you can't help that. It's just, you, know, you got to have a job. And, and, uh, but an interesting dynamic happens with you. When you come home, You've noticed, eh, you know, she's kind of got this whole thing running along, and so you just come in, kind of slide in, and, and shirk off your responsibility of engaging and leading even then. 
Well, maybe the action step for you today is going to be to sit down, or at least if you can't do it today, to schedule a date night sometime in the next week or two where you could sit down and say, we need to talk about this. And we need to kind of DTR, define the relationship, and, and figure out what adjustments do we need to be making to live out God's calling in our lives and in our marriage. But wives, since this message is really more your message um, than last week's was, many of you are going to just need to realize that you're going to need to give some thought and some prayer to determining what you might do to help your husband lead well. At the nub, I bet like Sarah discovered with Abraham, it's going to have something to do with respect. That's what it means. Now let's talk about a last thing. How are we going to do this? How are we going to do this? Well, let's look at the last sentence again, uh, 6b. He says, you're Sarah's daughters if you do what is right and do not give way to fear. Now, when you first read this, you say, what? You kind of lost me there. What you're talking about, Sarah, that was confusing enough. Now you're talking about fear and and I thought, did you change subjects? No, you pondered a minute. And wives, I'm sure I don't have to convince you that one of the most natural responses to this whole concept of living a surrendered life, a submitted life to which God calls us in marriage is going to arouse fear. That's the response that's going to, to sort of bubble up. And, and, and it's not just in marriage. We can go back to what Peter talked about two or three weeks ago, whether it's our boss or, or the government. What bubbles up when we think of this submission thing? Fear, I don't want to. What if they're really bad at it? What if they're mean at it? I, ah, that really rattles us, and that's why we bristle so much at this thought of, of submitting, right? And so Peter is saying, here's the thing. The first thing you're gonna have to do is commit yourself and recommit yourself day after day to trusting God, to trusting him, acknowledging, God, you are sovereign. You're in control of all things. And, and in the end, you will right all wrongs and you'll vindicate where vindication is justified. And so what he's saying is you're going to have to let his perfect love cast out all your fears, trusting in him with all your hearts and leaning not on your own understanding but acknowledging him in all your ways so that he'll make your path straight. <clears throat> now, husbands... Uh, or now, wives, what if my husband uh, is doing something just wrong? Even then, he's saying submit. If it's wrong, if it's sinful, if it's illegal. Um, for example, uh, one story I heard about even this, this past week. A husband telling his wife, you need to submit, and what we're going to do is watch some porn together because that's going to help our sex life. Then even then, 
Well, let's go back and remember this governing principle that we've talked about in all these passages about submission, whether the government or the job or uh, the husband and wife. There's always two authorities in our life, at least two, right? There's always this earthly authority, and then there's God, the divine authority. And, and so what Scripture makes very clear to us is that since there's always going on, we're, we always defer to the earthly authority, whether it's the government, whether it's our boss, whether it's our spouse. We're, we're going to be deferential, and we're going to submit to that earthly authority unless that earthly authority moves into a position where it now is suppressing and violating God's word. And it's at that point we got to do a little Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and say, uh, you know what? I, you can call me what you want to call me, and I can do all of these things to help you, uh, O king, but I cannot do that because that would be violating God's word. I can't do that. Now, I'll think creatively and come up and help you know, improvise and come up with some workarounds so that it's a win-win. And, you know, but you cannot force me to violate God's will. Okay? And I think that's important for us to remember because I think this text uh, and one other like it in Ephesians have been dreadfully uh, misused and abused by men who are doing wrong, violative, uh, uh, illegal things. And that, that's not appropriate. Um, parenthetically, husbands, I think it's important while I'm saying this for us to realize that the Greek word that is used for submit, hupotasso, is a word that is always used in the New Testament in the middle tense when it's referring to human submission. You say, well, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Nowhere do you read in Scripture that somebody else is to hupotasso you, to get you to submit. No, no, it's always in the middle tense, meaning we hupotasso ourselves. Peter has given us this choice. Why? Because I love Jesus, and so I'm, I'm submitting myself to this authority. It's in the middle tense. And so, uh, husbands... Don't ever go around saying, well, now, let me help you be biblical. Here's what you got to do, and you got to submit, because it's time for me to get some, some structure going around here, and let me hoopatasso you. No, that's not the way it works. You got to do the sermon of last week and trust that she then will respond and submit herself to the things that Peter's talking about here uh, today. It's an internal decision, not an external um, one. But other uh, of you, you say, yeah, okay, but still, yeah, my husband's not asking me to do anything illegal or sinful or wrong or breaking the law or anything like that, but help me understand this. Does this mean that I, I'm going to have to agree with him on everything? No. Does it mean I can't ever share my opinion or kind of influence our decisions? No, that's why God gave you to him, 
because he needs you to give him thoughts and influence and feedback. Does it never, does it mean I can't apply the energy? Some of you ladies, you're like, you know, I'm kind of a high capacity kind of babe. I can get things done. I can multitask. I can really, are you just telling me, I just got to sit around and just wait for him to figure everything out. And finally, honey, I knew you were going to get there. No, it doesn't mean that. That's not what it means at all. Read about the honorable wife in Proverbs 31. She would cheat accomplished a lot. You read about her, she was running a small business, she was doing real estate, she was caring for the family, she was doing all this stuff at the same time. So ladies, knock yourself out. Go and do what God's wired you to do. All that Peter's saying is at the end of the day, just recognize um, that God is going to hold your husband, your man, accountable Um, for how he leads your family. So help him do that well. Um, Hupatasso is just, it's just a, it's a, it's a structural military word. In the same way that in a military, you know, you can't just have all the soldiers say, I think we'll all do this. You got to have like, we're going to get on the same page here. You know, or in an airplane, it's, it's not like, you know, all 137 people just, okay, your turn to fly, and let's just see how it goes. No, there's like one person, two, there's one that's kind of backing them up, and, and that's how the airplane, that's how it works, you know. On a football team, you just have 11 people just saying, you know what, I want to do this play. And No, it's not going to work that way. you got to finally have one who's going to say, okay, at the end of the day, this is a play, and that's usually the quarterback, and above him is the coach. And that's just the structure. And that's what Peter's just saying. This is just, a, this is just how the family is organized. It, it, there has to be that kind of structure. And so, um, ladies, if you, I, I think the bottom line is you don't want him not trying. So when you see him trying to initiate, to, to lead, throw some oil on that fire. Encourage it. Be patient and Show some extra grace when his efforts are clumsy at it, because they will be. But um, encourage him along the way. And as you do, you know what will happen? This will happen. He will find you more beautiful than he's ever found you before. You're like, well, where do you see that? Look at verse 3. Your beauty should not come from outward adornment, such as elaborate hairstyles or the wearing of gold jewelry or fine clothes. Rather, it should be that of your inner self, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is of great worth in God's sight. He, here Peter's saying, so ladies, don't get too distracted on the marks of outward adornment. And that's hard in this day and age, ladies, right? Because, it's, I mean, everything is about it. Yeah, looks, looks, look. He's saying, no, don't, I guess it was a hard thing even 2,000 years ago. Let's not spend too much time thinking about outward adornment, elaborate hairstyles, wearing gold jewelry, fine clothes. And by this, Peter was not saying you shouldn't ever pay attention to your hair or that you should never wear jewelry or that you should never wear clothes. That's not what he was saying. He was just saying trying to look one's uh, trying to look one's best. There's nothing sinful in that. Here's the, here's the point, though. There's something deeper and more profound, and that's this inner beauty. That's what God's going to bless. You saw it in my friend Chuck's marriage as he described his wife. 
After all, everybody's physical attributes change, right? The older we get, our muscles will diminish. Our faces sag, our bellies bulge. That just kind of what happens. But Peter's saying if you're really doing this thing called marriage right, your inner beauty will just sparkle more and more. The older you get and the better at this you get. Um, when I think of that inner beauty, I could think of any number of instances um, when my wife Suzanne has lived this out. I think, though, none ever more memorably or clearly than about seven years ago. If you were here back then, you, you might remember I told the story seven years ago of how we were in the process of uh, working to uh, move into a new house. It was under construction, and we were so excited, and she'd gone and picked out the colors of the walls and the flooring and the carpet and all the stuff, and we'd take the, the boys over every night, and we'd look at the progress that the construction was making, and this is going to be our new house, and this is going to be your room, and it's going to be your room. And, and <clears throat> it, but there was this one problem, and the problem was our house wasn't selling. It was during the 2009 downturn, and really nothing was selling. But it was a problem, and we weren't getting enough showings and having enough prospects and no contracts. And the closer into this thing, the more I was trying to figure out, how am I going to make the ends meet if we're moving forward to this, and, and, and then we still have this, and it hasn't sold, and how are we going to do that? And it was really causing me some stress. And then I started thinking, because I don't know how long we can really do two at the same time. And, and, and then it struck me, here's what I'll do. I looked at the line item in our budget that we call tithing and giving back to God. And I said to the Lord that night, I remember it just, boom, I said, brilliant. I said, Lord, I can't remember when I didn't tithe. I always tithed all my life. I mean, I was just raised, I was just normal. And, and I've tithed here Faith Bridge since I started the church. I, I was the first tither. I was the only tither. You know, today we'll have our offerings. And so there it was, you know, and... and <clears throat> And so I, it just struck me, so, Lord, you owe me one. And, and so if you don't sell the old home, then I just won't tithe. And we do that until you do sell the old home, and then, boom, how's that for a deal? The moment I said that to the Lord, the moment everything in my soul just went, because you, know, you just kind of know, oh boy, if that's not compromise, I don't know what is. And then the thought occurred to me, okay, how are you ever going to stand in front of thousands of people and encourage them and challenge them to be generous in God's way? And, you know, meanwhile, you know, oh, well, I held back, you know. And, and <clears throat> so I went to bed that night knowing we can't do this. God has just clearly closed the door. He, how many more signs can he send us that he's closed? I mean, I was, for a few Sundays, if you were here seven years, you remember I'd walk out to preach and there's a little sign around my face that says, my house is for sale, ask me about it. You know, and what more can I do to, to, to get this to happen? You know, and, and it wasn't happening. 
So the next morning she woke up. I was waiting for her, and I said, we have to talk. She said, okay. And I said, baby, I just feel so, so badly about this because I know how excited we are and everything. It's just, I think God has told us clearly we're not supposed to move forward uh, with this. There's just no way to make it where I told her the whole tithing thing. And she said, no, of course we're not going to do that. I said, so today I've got to end it. And very memorably, she looked at me and said, okay, well, you're the leader. And if this is what we've got to do, then I'm with you. The hardest part for me was to see her tears and just all the dreams and just disappointment and all of that. And, um, but over the last seven years, God has sent us confirmation point after confirmation point. Instance after instance where we're like, you know, if we had moved, we, that couldn't have happened or we couldn't have done that. And look at that, how God protect. We just, and that, we just praise the Lord all these seven years. Every time he sent one of those very clear confirmations. And I can tell you in no uncertain terms, because of Suzanne's faithfulness, our marriage has only grown stronger, has never been better. And some of you hear that story and you think, and that's where the sermon ends? That is a terrible story. I knew I was going to hate this sermon. Why did I even come today? Well, hang on a second, because there's actually a rest of the story. About 10 or 12 weeks ago, she called and she said, you know, I was just looking at HAR.com and I saw a house that I think would maybe be the right place for us. And <clears throat> she said, would you be open to looking? And I said, sure. So I looked and I said, it does look very nice. I think it could fit our family really nicely and give our boys a little more room for as they get bigger and, <clears throat> and that sort of thing. And um, I said, well... We prayed about it for a few nights, and then I said, I, 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 think we should, I think we should try it. Of course, I said, now, here's the real point of confirmation. Can our little patio home that we've lived in 15 years, will that sell? Because that's where God clearly jammed it up last time. So we sort of set that out as the fleece and said, if, if, if that happens, then clearly God is in it. Well, no sooner had we prayed that, the phone rings, and it's a friend here at church and said, hey, I, I heard through the grapevine you're thinking about maybe moving. Yeah, that's true. She said, you know, I've got some friends. Could they come see your house? And I said, well, sure. The next day they came over. They walked through. I mean, we haven't even put a sign in the yard. We haven't. I was just interviewing realtors. And, and the next day he sends an email and says, we'd like to buy it, and here's the terms we would like. And I was like, check, 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 check. Oh my gosh, the whole thing just came together like that. And so, in fact, the other day we sold them that home, and yesterday we moved to our new home, and we spent our first night there last night. And God gets the glory. But Suzanne, my wife, uh, is a close second because she was patient and willing to, to say, I'm with you, as we waited for God to do what he would do. And I can tell you that today we find ourselves um, 
hand in hand, more unified than ever. And that's what Peter was saying, I want for every marriage. That's what God is saying, I want for every marriage. And certainly what I want for every marriage here. Let's pray together. Lord, um, thank you for the wisdom that comes through your word. Sometimes it's very perplexing. And uh, we find ourselves scratching our heads and saying, this doesn't make any sense. This will never work, not in this day and age. But then you dig into it and we realize there really is a timeless truth to your word. And if we will just move with you, not swimming against your current, but flowing with it, that you work all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purposes. My prayer, Lord, is that you would bless every marriage here. There's just thousands of different stories here, and every one of them a little different from the next. And some people might need to have a little tweak, a little few changes, maybe in light of what Pastor Dan and I have talked about today and last Sunday. Other marriages are going to need a big overhaul. And still plenty of others somewhere in between. I pray, God, you'd help us all to move forward into greater faithfulness and blessing in all of our marriages. And I pray, God, for any who are here today who have not trusted in you, Jesus, and come to know you as their Savior. I pray even today in this quiet moment that they would open their heart up and say, I want Jesus to come into my heart. I want you, Jesus, to come in and to forgive me of my sins and to forgive me of all my unrighteousness and to give me a new start. We pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to Postscript. Here we hope to answer your questions and help you dig deeper into the messages and sermons at FaithBridge by talking with the teacher of the day. Welcome to Postscript. I'm Lou Ann Riley, Grow Group and Discipleship Director, and I'm here with Pastor Ken, who just brought part two of Marriage Matters, a continuing look at surrender and submission. Mm -hmm. Welcome, Ken. Thank you. Okay, so last week, Dan gave it to the men, yeah, and this week, yeah. you gave the message to the women. Right. Um, and we did have a question come around, just clarifying one of the points that you made. Okay. Um, so when you talked about Sarah and Abraham, mm -hmm. can you add some clarification to the verse saying that Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord? This sounds like Peter has superimposed Abraham over God, but we know that can't be true right. based on what we've learned about That's submission right. so far. Right, yeah, sure. So, what Peter's doing here is alluding to Sarah as an example. It's as if he said, for example, like Sarah did. Well, go back in Genesis, and what did Sarah do? Well, there's this uh, verse that he was clearly referencing, Genesis 18, 12, where, uh, if you know the story, if you don't, here's the story. Basically, 
uh, three visitors come along who kind of represent God, who tell Abraham, you're gonna have a baby. Sarah's off in the tent and she overhears this. And it says uh, that she giggled to herself as if to say, are you kidding me? Like, right, we're gonna have babies. He's nearly 100, I'm nearly 90. We're gonna have a baby? And um, the, the context is in that verse you'll read in 1812, uh, my Lord, my husband, Abram, Abraham, is an old man. And so um, that's the only time we see her refer to him as, we don't see any instance where he, she went around calling him Lord, um, but only in her own mind and heart was thinking that. But dig into that deeper. What did that even mean, this whole Lord thing? It's not Lord like the Lord Jesus is like, old term for what a, a lady might think today, my man is old. Um, and so she's just referring to him in a respectful way as she was pondering the, the, uh, the audacity of this whole thought that these visitors are giving to Abraham that she's over, overhearing. So it's uh, not that uh, Peter is uh, superimposing Abraham over the rest of God's word. And he's just that he's like, like her. She's a really good example of this. Think of all that she went through, all that she did. She's moving now. She's going to be told she's going to have a, a baby. And she, yet she was respectful the whole, the whole way through, even sometimes getting a little ahead of the Lord and they kind of goofed up, like I said, a few times, but the overarching trajectory of her life uh, was one of faithfulness to the Lord and, and respect to her husband. And I, that's what Peter was driving at. Good, good clarification there. Okay, the other question came in, um, says that I understand that the husband will be held accountable for leading the family, but that the wife is essential in helping the husband to sure. lead well. Can you elaborate or give us tangible ways that that can look? Sure. Let me do this. I'll tell a story, mm -hmm. but then I'm gonna throw it back to you. Sure. Cause you are a wife of a guy that many of us know and love around here, not on our staff, but we see him a lot up here anyhow. I was talking with our own Wayne Risher on our staff um, this past week and after I let him preview the sermon and he gave what I thought was such a nice example of how he and Tammy uh, sort of navigate this. He said, you know, Tammy does this thing when, um, when we're coming to a critical crossroads and maybe not seeing it totally eye to eye, but there's gonna have to, you can't just keep going without a decision. She has this way of very winsomely saying, well, you know what my thoughts are, my, my preference or my opinions are, um, but on this one, I defer to you. And Wayne said, there's something about when she says that, I sit up because I realize, uh-oh, this one's for real. This one matters. And he says, typically that's when I say, well, back up. So now why do you feel that, you know, he says that just invites me to probe in 
all the more uh, intentionally, curiously to make sure that if, if it's on me, I want to make the right call because she's basically saying, okay, I'm going to defer. And I thought, you know, that, that uh, puts into succinct form what I protracted in, in the illustration I told about Suzanne and, and me, but um, I thought that was pretty good. You should jump in. You are a wife and a great one, as well as uh, helping run the church. What's one or two things you do with Justin? Yeah, you know, um, Justin and I have been married 12, 12 years. Mm -hmm. We've been married 12 years this year. And I would say this is probably one of the areas where we have really had to work out how, mm, sure. how this works. Um, very much Because like, you're very strong. Because I'm... You're very strong. Very, you have a very high capacity. Uh, not that he isn't, but th that you certainly are. Yeah, and so we've had to figure out how how that is going to work well for us in our marriage. Sure. And much sure. like Tammy and Wayne were alluding to, I almost put myself in the category when it comes down to is um, maybe even like assistant or thinker or calendar or planner for us. I'm the one that comes to him and says, hey, babe, this is coming and we're going to need to think about see it. all of these things that are coming. Yeah. And he's like, I haven't even thought about that. Yeah. So then I get him thinking about it yeah. so that we can make a decision That's together. We've also sat down and figured out, okay, you're really good at this, mm. and I'm not. And you're really good at this, and I'm not. That's so out of good. all the things that have to be done, why don't you just take the lead on this, uh -huh. make those decisions? One of the things I can think about um, is where our kids would go to preschool. Uh -huh. He's like, you've toured the schools. You know the kids. You've been staying home with them for a while. I fully trust that you can pick the preschool that's going to work for Great us. Great example. Um, Things like that where we've been able to say, you know what, I think this is an area where you could do this. Yeah, um, and good. then when it comes to big decisions, it's very much an, uh, we need to talk about this, mm -hmm. but defer to mm -hmm. him for the final decision. Yeah. You're a good influencer up mm -hmm. to your good credit. I know because you do that on our staff. And uh, more than once, I've thought as I walk away, huh, that was really good. I don't feel like you knucklehead because you didn't <laughs> think of it, but I realize what you did very graciously sort of say, yeah, maybe think about this. And then I, I, I see it and realize it. I would add one thing mm -hmm. that I think is helpful in this discussion. And I hope that every couple in the church has this discussion. Um, I think it's important for every couple to do what you described uh, doing with Justin, and that is actually go through the categories of life. The you know the 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 finance category, the the school category, you know all the categories, and sort of assess the home category, home upkeep, and who really has a passion for this, who is good at it. I, I think sometimes couples to their peril. Mm -hmm ascribe to themselves roles because maybe they saw their parents mm -hmm. do it or they think that's the biblical way. And the, the, the Bible doesn't get into that nitty gritty, who should balance the books and do the checkbook. And that is something we can figure out together and we should play to our, our own and to our spouse's greatest strengths so that we sort of divvy up the division of labor in a way that is playing to everybody's strengths, not to everybody's weakness. Mm -hmm. That at least gets us to the 50 yard line. Mm -hmm. um, 
and the other 50 is work uh, and navigating and, um, but maybe that can be helpful for some people. Good. Well, this, this series, just understanding, I believe, because submission, wifely submission can be very misunderstood. Very much. Um, and I think the biggest piece for me is when I begin to understand that my, I submit and my submission is based on my submission to God. To God. And that just applies in every, every category, every category of our life. So this has yeah. been a great, that's good. Mm -hmm. If if we realize we already belong to Him, we've submitted ourselves to Him, we've died to ourselves already, and you can't kill a dead man. So I'm already dead and raised to life through Christ. So now, whether it's the spouse, whether it's the work, whether it's the government, then I, I can I can do that. Mm -hmm. That is the message right there. It is. It is. So thank you for that. And thank you for joining us here for Postscript. We'll see you back here next week. Thanks for joining us for Postscript. Help us keep the podcast interactive by submitting your questions during the morning services. Learn more at faithbridge.org slash postscript.